the bad guys in Animal House. They've totally been having phone sex, right? Inspired by Justin Trudeau's ass. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. It's a lonely existence in Brussels. Oh, uh, did you rename the apartment Brussels? I did indeed. Okay. It seemed very fitting for reasons I cannot possibly explain. <laughs> <laughs> because you did that before you watched this episode. Oh yeah, definitely. It was. I, mean, I think there's definitely like if you look at, if you're looking at this and you know the characters, yeah, you know Brussels, whatever. Yeah, that's true. No, but as soon as you were gone, I was like, this is Brussels now. Okay. Yeah. Any other changes I should know about? <laughs> uh, we all speak Flemish, so... How many people you've gotten here? <laughs> well, you know, I had to g- kick them out for the podcast, but <laughs> a big Flemish party later. Okay. Yeah. Well, um... Vermeer? Was there a <laughs> Flemish painter? Yeah. Vermeer, uh, Rembrandt. Oh, Rembrandt, yeah. Boy, the Flems. <laughs> so wait, is Brussels Flemish? Like, is that... Uh, I think... I, I forget. I, I think it's... What, I forget whether it's Flemish or Walloon, but it's a big issue there. Europe's bizarre. Yes. Yes, it is. And welcome back. We are recapping Season 1, Episode 8 of The Crown, and we have a very special guest joining us, a uh, friend of the podcast, longtime cousin, Levi Hastings. Welcome, Ooh. Levi. Uh, <laughs> welcome, Levi. <laughs> Hello, cousins. I'm very excited to be here. This is a dream come true. Yeah. We are thrilled to have you. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a little context, uh, we have been pals since what year was like, when did we start knowing each other? It was spring of 2012. Oh, I wow. Was, you even narrowed it down to the season. I do. I remember <laughs> it distinctly. Um, well, because it was during uh, it was because of the Downton Abbey season and I was a fanboy of your podcast and I was doing some fan art and I, I think I shared it with you. And sent, sent you a, a fan winky email, and uh, then we became friends. We yeah. did. We actually we fell in internet love. Is yes. what happened. Yes, torrid internet romance. <laughs> Very torrid. <laughs> Very exciting. And you like Tom Fine also. I adore Tom. He's just not on the internet enough. Yeah, yeah that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely a lot more temperate in his interneting than <laughs> yeah. you and I. Um, but we've yeah, met and many so you times are also- in real life, and yeah, had a great time. Yeah, well, we met. We went to Golden Gate Park that time and had that really fantastic froyo. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which they then stole and filmed for looking. They did. Um, oh my god! Yeah. It yeah. was so our first date, yeah. <laughs> and also Tom was there. <laughs> but yeah, the butt stuff was all the same. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so you are an illustrator and cartoonist. Yeah. And where can people find you on the internet? Um, my website is levihastings.com and uh, my handles on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook are Levi Hastings Art. So, yeah, please check it out. Follow along. Um, I do a lot of travel, dinosaurs, um, pop culture stuff. So, yeah. The dinosaurs are amazing. Also amazing is you just did a comic called Declaration that's about a gay romance in the American Revolution, which is, not to be cliché, Fabulous. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, yeah, we're really excited about it. That was the the first little preview issue is out, and we're currently working on like our first full uh, like issue issue. So look for that uh, late summer, early fall, twenty seventeen. But that's yeah. very exciting because I got to the end of the little mini issue, and I was like, I want more gay revolution. <laughs> yeah, so do we. That's why we're making more. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we are going to talk about this episode, uh, which I know you, Levi, were super excited oh to my do God. this episode. I just rewatched it. I love this episode. Like to me, uh, this yeah. is like the best of the season and kind of the kind of this is the one where I'm like, OK, this is what the show is about. Yeah, yeah, and I will also add, I thought this was going to be my favorite episode, and then I watched episode nine, oh. and I was just, like, completely blown away. I won't get, you know, into it, because obviously we're going to talk about that next week. Right. Sure. But, like, if this show had been six episodes long, and we had basically, like, somehow condensed the first two, because, like, the first episode was pretty much just King Lane Price being like, hey, Philip. Don't be an asshole. Right. Cough, um, cough, bleed, long. Cough. Yeah, cough, cough. Don't be an ass. And then everything in between there, I could pretty much have done without, except for the coronation. Right. Uh, and the uh, obviously the Princess Margaret group captain Peter Townsend business. Yeah, right. sure. Um, but like, if we had gotten into this kind of stuff immediately, right? But then I'm be- like, do I only like this because it was so boring before? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it just it feels like it took like six episodes to really get revved up. Yeah. No, I definitely like last week I thought it was the best one I had seen and I, I haven't watched ahead at all. And then this week I was like, oh, no, maybe this was the best one yeah. so far. So. so we're coming around on the old crown. Yeah. Good. yeah. Uh, yeah. Much it's, like Liz herself. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you guys were so a little lukewarm on the last couple of uh, recaps. And I was like, yeah, we just, you know, we weren't feeling it. And now we're like, we're pretty revved. Yeah. Good. We're ready. We're ready Good. for whatever comes next. Okay. Uh, so this episode is called Pride and Joy. Yes. Which is a really great title once you know why it is called that. Yeah. Which, you know, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, which has been, you know, hit or miss in terms of titles uh, on this show. But this is a good one. Yeah, this is an excellent title. Uh, so we open on the Queen Mum who is standing and staring at something. Uh, but, oh, it's just a mirror. She's yeah. just looking in the mirror. This is one of those things where the camera is the mirror. And uh, her maid puts her pearl necklace on. Not a euphemism. And uh, the maid, she asked the maid to send her daughters in. She's looking real once, sad, by the way. Yeah, it's a really intense opening shot. Yeah, it's just like, whoa, <laughs> this isn't this isn't the fun of having a tutor of last episode. <laughs> so uh, once Liz and Margaret have come in to see her, she says that she can't do it, meaning a speech in honor of King Lane Price. And this was when I was like, man, this episode's going to be great. Like, I just, like, this scene is so intense, and this mm-hmm. argument, where, like, Margaret and Liz are arguing about who was King Lane Price's favorite, and who the head of the household is now, or head of the family is. Yeah. Well, and because uh, Margaret is like, oh, I can make the speech for you, and one or the other says, it's like, that doesn't make any sense. And they're right. It really doesn't make any sense for Margaret to give this. It doesn't make any sense. Look, Margaret's whole life doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Well, that's true. That's the burden of the, being the younger sibling of the monarch. (laughs) It's like, why are you here? Um, so anyway, Liz basically puts her foot down and says, I'm the head of the family. I'm going to make the speech. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, this is awkward. (laughs) So we see her uh, in the rain, and uh, she gets up, goes to a microphone, and gives... I mean, after all that debate, it's not much of a speech. I mean, it's fine. It's heartfelt. It's just like two sentences long. Uh, yeah, it's like a speechlet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then she uh, pulls a Union Jack off of the statue of King Lane Price, and uh, 
there's the statue. <laughs> um, and Margaret is moved by it, and the Queen Mum is looking extremely sad, understandably so, and uh, walks into a car and then really breaks down in the car. Yeah, and I have to give, uh, I think her name is Victoria Hamilton, who's okay. playing the Queen Mum. Like, oh. her performance is so good. Yeah, she is so good in this. And I don't know how you guys have felt. I mean, I know, like, up until this point, like, she's just kind of been a frigid bitch the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and this was the one, again, this was another reason why I wanted to do this episode, because it's like, this is the one where, like, you really kind of get to see her side of the story. Um, and I don't know, I just feel like this episode really um, humanizes her in a really great way. Um, no, I totally yeah. agree. And I think we talked about it a bit last week that, I, you know, I read the Queen Mum's uh, Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the level of rigorous scholarship <laughs> you can expect from up here downstairs yeah but she apparently was just like this total spitfire who everybody loved yeah who drank 70 units of alcohol a week sure. and i'm like i feel like we haven't gotten that yet so we're starting mm-hmm. to see her as a human being mm-hmm. right uh, in in this episode well and, and uh oh, sorry go ahead no, I was just going to say, also, I looked up a picture of what King George V actually looks like, and woof. <laughs> like, no. Okay. No. Like, I'm so, I'm so used to seeing these attractive versions of the monarchs, <laughs> and so when I do additional, re- like, I went, the other night I totally went down a complete Wikipedia uh, rabbit hole about Princess Di and that and like reading about that it's like I can't believe that happened right? like I'm not even talking about her death I'm talking about like all this shit that got paraded out in front of people yeah about her and Charles and this yeah. whole episode which has been like debunked but it's still fun to, like where she was like pregnant with Prince William and like oh, threw yeah. herself down the stairs I'm right. like like I'm on her side, but also, bitch, you are crazy. <laughs> what is the matter with you? My God. Yeah. Yeah. At any rate, I just wanted to say. seasons. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, that would be, you know, that's what's weird is like Peter Morgan obviously did the queen. And like, so he has built this whole career of sort of like cautiously chronicling the royal family and not addressing diana as an actual character right like it's all yeah it's all peripheral well and this is why and i don't know if we want to speculate too much at this point but like i because i I wanted to touch on this because i think like the way that they've plotted out the seasons for this or the you know that they've sort of planned out like i'm really excited for the 80s season whenever you know yeah you're gonna get margaret thatcher you're gonna get diana causing all kinds of trouble um, I don't know when Margaret Trudeau comes in, but um, <laughs> um, yeah. I was just going to say, what about Margaret Trudeau? <laughs> oh, also, can we take a brief aside? Okay, so Levi and I have had this discussion slash argument on the internet many times where I'm like, I don't get it about Justin Trudeau. Oh. Um, <laughs> but I saw that picture of his badonkadonk. Right. And even his face looked cuter to me. Yeah. So I'm like, well, maybe I was just too depressed. Like, maybe I just wasn't in a particularly lusty mood. Mm-hmm. I'm not even good enough for you, Trudeau. <laughs> oh, I'm so sad. I bet right. your wife is real happy. Yeah. Her Zoloft is fine. <laughs> All you just yeah. some sweet Canadian That's... house and cheer you up, right? Oh, man. 
I mean, I needed to be in the right frame of mind, I think, to appreciate that sweet Canadian ass. Right. Well, God, think, what if what if Justin Trudeau saves us all? Well, seriously, <laughs> I think it also depends on like our current political climate also may contribute to your like, you know, he has this sort of like he looks like so good by comparison. That's yeah. true. Like, God, I mean, I'm not entirely certain that, you know, evil desiccates a person. But given the current administration, I am no longer as certain that it does not. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I well, and also to be fair, I think this like fetishization of Justin Trudeau is a very American thing. Like a lot of my Canadian friends are not that into him. Like as a, as a politician, like they're like, yeah, he's cute, but he's not doing a damn thing. So. And, you know, as oh, Americans, so he's not going to save us all. Never mind. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I mean, I think like as Americans, we don't pay attention to Canadian politics whatsoever until there's like a beautiful face to it. So um, <laughs> as long as we can buy their prescription drugs, I right. don't see the problem with that. Right. Right. So anyway, <laughs> I, I've, I've just sort of noticed because every time I talk to one of my Canadian friends, I'm like, can we talk about your prime minister? And they're like, oh, don't get me started. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> What is Padanka dog? What is sweet, sweet ass? Um, <laughs> so anyway, I don't know anything about uh, Margaret Trudeau, but uh, given last week's guest, I'm like, tell me more. Yeah, I still don't. Even after Allison like said all that stuff, I'm like, I don't know yeah. what that is. Like, I know she's a person I should pretend to know now, but yeah, no, we'll we'll learn along with uh, America. Yeah. <laughs> Four or five of the Queen, we'll get it. Mm-hmm. Or the Crown. I'm sorry. Right? I keep doing that, too. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Oh, can I just say, before we get on to the next scene, I know you guys don't like the credits of the show. Or I I remember early on you were, like, Uh down on the credits. But I I have to say, they totally grew on me. Um, Particularly the music. The music has grown on me. Yeah. I typically spend the credits, like doing other stuff (laughs) yeah well i will say that Um, because i listen yeah because even like in the beginning you know the intro and exit of your of your podcast like listening to it again it's i don't know i I just feel like it really sets the tone yeah no and i mean because as i'm editing it i listen to it every week and i'll say that the music has yeah that the music like for it. the show continues to be reminiscent of a horror film. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, true. And I can't decide if that's by design. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but I think it does sort of have elements of that. So I, I like it. It is kind of like a ghost story in that these are people who have to keep going through the same motions over and over again for no discernible purpose. Right. <laughs> yeah. For the sake of this intangible object symbol thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, carry on. I have a right. <laughs> You're up. Oh. Uh, so uh, we see a film reel begin, uh, and it is a bunch of people. Uh, looks kind of like a Nazi salute, but it's just, just some kind of anti-Britain salute or whatever. Uh, and it's uh, protests uh, against British rule, uh, apparently in Gibraltar. And uh, so they're telling Churchill that it is too dangerous for the Queen to travel uh, but he says that that's, that's no way. The crown does not back down. And he says that if the Britain had backed down, the whole world would be fascist. And it's like, oh, did you defeat Hitler? I hadn't heard Winston you mean Churchill. The Nazis. <laughs> Prominent Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
God, that must be, that must have been so tedious for everyone in Churchill's life. It, it's tedious 50s. for all of us, by the way. <laughs> well, yeah. Except I have to say, Clemmy seems very well adjusted. Yeah. Well. Like, considering who he is and how annoying he is. I assume she's just used to not listening to him. <laughs> like you all those times. <laughs> uh, Michael Ledeen says that she thinks that the queen is not up to it, uh, but Churchill says that he's pa- patronizing her and, uh, you know, blusters and they're, they're going to do it. So then we see, and possibly my favorite scene of this entire oh show. It's uh, <laughs> so good. So there's a fashion designer who's clearly a gay man, by the way. Yes. I always get excited by that in these period pieces. <laughs> I'm like, look, there's a gay. There's a gay. <laughs> you're not telling us, Peter Morgan, but you're telling mm-hmm. us. And then the designer starts singing, and I am telling you, I'm not going to Gibraltar. <laughs> so this designer is explaining their design strategy behind her clothes and accessories for the tour. And Liz is like, how many outfits are there? There's 100 dresses, yeah. 36 hats, and 50 pairs of shoes. Swoon. <laughs> Eat your heart out, Imelda Marcos. Mm-hmm. What a dream. JK, 50, 50 shoes is like, you know, drops in a bucket for Imelda Marcos. Well, yeah. Um, well, and all of, the, so all of she, the flowers are like coordinated based on the region of the two, and it's, it's all, which mm-hmm. I love. It's all coordinated. It's just ah, oh, what a dream. <laughs> and Liz wants to know if they can't economize, <laughs> and apparently uh, her gay designer says no because the government has ordered her to look as uh, you know affluent as possible which to me okay going into places where there's unrest um maybe maybe economize (laughs) maybe be a little bit mindful that poor people are mad at you look i mean i i kind of actually disagree because like if if you're going to have a monarch like don't lean into it like don't be like oh maybe we should like you know if you've decided that monarchy is the thing you're gonna do like Act according to your beliefs. Don't don't half don't half ass the monarchy. <laughs> right. Well, it's sort of the same thing they were talking about with the coronation, where it's like you know the people need something to sort of look up to. And you know, mm-hmm. I guess I don't know. I don't I don't really buy it, but that seemed to be their justification. Yeah. I mean, I think we're on record as not really buying into the whole British monarchy <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> thing. Although we did yeah. actually get some really interesting telegrams about how the monarchy is financed. Oh. Um, so we'll be getting to that on our Patreon mailbag, which will be coming up shortly because uh, we're almost through the crown. That's right. We're almost through the crown. Uh, and that brings us to our recurring segment that's actually here this week, Fa- <laughs> Fashion Backwards, with our own 50s fashionista, Kelly. Hey, guys. <laughs> I'm back with actual information yeah, about fashion even about fashion it has been weeks in the making <laughs> and by weeks in the making it's been weeks of me going <laughs> and then last night i was like no i'm gonna do this now yeah inspired by justin trudeau's ass possibly 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 <laughs> okay so this is gonna be somewhat lengthy so everybody you know strap on your girdle um your pearls yeah, Oof, not a euphemism. <laughs> um, sorry, guys, I just can't stop myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
so obviously in the post-war years, there's this huge resurgence in hot couture. I think, is it hot couture? I hope. Haute couture? I don't know. Let's call the whole thing too expensive for me. <laughs> um, so the the main thing that happens here, uh, they used to, you know, if you look at the fashion of the 40s, the shoulders and uh, the shoulders were square. The skirts were short. Uh, I mean, relatively speaking. Right. And uh, in the 1950s, I think it's 1957, Christian Dior creates the new look silhouette, which has sweeping longer skirts, a fitted waist, and rounder shoulders. And then even later in the 50s, there's more of this uh, unfitted structural look that kind of leads into the 60s and sort of the, you know, the sack dresses. Sack dresses were invented in the 50s, but not really made popular until the 60s. Um, so by 1947, all of the pas- the Paris fashion houses has reopened in the wake of World War II, and they were like, you know, guess who's back? Back again. <laughs> Shady's back. And by Shady, of course, I mean Cristobal Balenciaga. <laughs> um, <laughs> Balenciaga, man. Um, I know, right? I can't stop. <laughs> Um, oh, I'm sorry. It was 1947. 1957 was the year that both Dior and Balenciaga died. Oh. So clearly something in the silk lining. <laughs> um, so you see a much more tailored look after the post-war period, but women were still into wearing pants. During the war, you know, they'd been working in factories and all that kind of thing. And they were like, hey, pants, this is great. I can do stuff. And uh, still look cute as hell. <laughs> so uh, you're seeing pedal pushers and you're seeing... Oh, shoot. There's another name. There's just a difference between different kinds of capris, basically. Oh, uh, yeah. One is pedal pushers and those come just below the knee. And then the other one came down lower, mid-calf. If I can find the name of that, I will uh, let everybody know. <laughs> Great. I have like 16 tabs open here. So we're just... Uh, Flying, flying by the seat of our bullet bra. <laughs> hey, speaking of bullet bras, uh, so bullet bras were the bras uh, that came to a point. So women looked like fembots, and um, it was popularized by Patty Page, Marilyn Monroe, and of course Lana Turner, who was nicknamed the Sweater Girl for wearing a bullet bra under a sweater. <laughs> so really, it seems like she should have been named the Titty Lady, but. <laughs> Social mores of the time uh, suggested that that could not be the case. Um, so at this time, you're also seeing good old Coco Chanel after her many years of service <laughs> to the Third Reich. Uh, she laid low and then came back. And the trend, as you see with the Dior's and the Balenciaga's, were these just you know very feminine. Uh, floofy dresses with a lot of fabric, a lot of detailing, and she was not about that. So this is when you see the chemise dress, uh, aka Chanel's little black dress, mm. uh, come into prominence. So she was not about this whole fussy femininity thing, and she did revolutionize uh, women's sort of business wear with her suits. Uh, for more information on Chanel suits, please watch uh, str- scenes from the class struggle in Springfield from The Simpsons, uh, season six, maybe. I want to say six, but I I'm not sure. I want to say six. Let's say six. Let's call the whole thing six. Um, Do you think Chanel so? I was looking into sort of British uh, Wallace Simpson. 
Oh, I bet they did. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I bet they got blotto together and, like, <laughs> blew smoke into their pugs' faces. Talked about how much they hated the Jews. Oh, yeah. They were like, oh, the Jews. Like, again? <laughs> like a third one? I don't know what that means. I don't either. Don't worry about it. They were terrible. So I also looked into sort of what the what the British <laughs> fashion scene was. Uh, and, I mean, you know... Everybody's moving out of rationing. They're moving from these very austere measures to like, oh my God, we have all this money because we're imposing tariffs on people. And that's great. <laughs> um, so you see basically the creation of teenagers is a fashion concept. It's a dual finance and fashion concept. Okay. So because of the uh, economic situation, teens instead of joining the workforce early or living with their parents longer, not working. And they're like, guess what? We're not a bunch of squares, yo. <laughs> and so you see things emerging, um, like the, uh, the Hepcats, uh, <laughs> Which included... Uh, it's, it's funny to think that that's something that people said non-ironically at one no, time. No, and they thought it was so cool. Yeah. Like, all of the things in the 50s where people were like, we're breaking the mold, baby. You're like, <laughs> you guys were nerds of the first degree. <laughs> well, and also, as I'm going through this, I'm like, I just feel like we don't have these distinctions anymore. Like, I guess, like, the, you know, there's hipsters. Yeah, but, but there's that's... not really there's not really these, like, self-consciously named groups or even haircuts like they talk a lot about the poodle being very popular as a haircut which is like a short curly do which i think actually in these later episodes is what liz is sporting is a poodle do hmm. um it's cute and i'm just like why did you why did you name this after a dog like that just seems mean <laughs> but uh so the hepcats uh wore a lot of zoot suits this was popularized uh, by gang members, particularly African-Americans, Italian-Americans, Cholos, a.k.a. Pachucos, and Chicanos. So that's more of an American thing, but I'm sure you see that kind of, you know, bleeding over into Great Britain. Right. Um, what you definitely see in Britain at this time is the Teddy Boys. Yes. And the Teddy Girls, who I believe we've discussed before on this podcast. Probably. But they adopted, essentially, Edwardian fashions with, you know, a kind of rockabilly twist. Um, so, you know, they were wearing a lot of uh, bolo ties because they're so cool. Uh, winkle pickers and brothel creepers. I don't know what those are, but they sound very unpleasant. Yikes. Drain pipe trousers. I think if anything, we can we can say that this all just sounds like gross things. They were like, "Oh, let's name it gross things, so nobody will copy us." Well, drain pipes, I'm pretty sure were essentially skinny jeans. See, now we name things things that are reasonable. <laughs> now we're like, "Oh, you know, they're skinnies. It's fine." Right, um, man bun. And then, sort of the, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh, the American kind of version of this is the greasers which we all know from the movie grease which i think about all the time as something <laughs> where it's like why do people let their children watch this yeah because like people are like oh it's the 50s it's harmless and i'm like this is definitely sending some real toxic messages yeah. to children yeah well you know as as we were discussing last night uh how about the musical oliver oh yeah Oh, yeah, we got into a deep convo about that. <laughs> Although I do think that the most functional relationship in Oliver is Mr. and Mrs. Sourberry, the Undertakers. <laughs> yeah, 
you know, they know what they want. They know how to get it. Yeah. Um, then you also have the Ivy League, which is, it eventually morphed, it eventually morphed into the preppy look mm-hmm. in the 80s. But, you know, uh, college sweatshirts, cardigans, sweater vests, uh, Nantucket Reds, which I guess is a communist thing. Um, you know, Oxford shirts and, you know, just uh, the bad guys in Animal House is what we're talking <laughs> about here. And then, of course, the Beatniks. Wearing all black. Yeah. God, beatniks must have been insufferable. <laughs> like, I don't like hanging out with slam poets, and they must have been so much worse. Okay. And so, some other things that we see. Uh, in 1951, there was the Festival of Britain exhibition held at the South Bank on the River Thames in London. Uh, so, there were over 6,000 products, many of them clothing, accessories, and dress fabrics. Um so the British government basically traded a bunch of materials abroad, uh, but they were like stockpiling a bunch of like foreign materials to uh, like drive up demand. So this was sort of the, the culmination of them doing some shady wheeling and dealing behind the scenes. Hmm. And uh, in the 1950s, we see Marks and Spencer uh, producing the best ready to wear. Uh, that the world had ever seen. <laughs> um, uh, sweater dresses got introduced at this time. Oh, also, so the person who designed the queen's wedding dress also designed her coronation gown, mm. which I, if you recall, was not a fan of. <laughs> yeah. Um, but his name was Norman Hartnell. And uh, yeah, they don't actually talk about this guy. Never mind. <laughs> He was a guy. His name was Norman. I think we've got all we need. (laughs) What was Selfridges doing at this time? Great question. Yeah. uh, Nobody cares. I guess. No, nobody does. Having mercury poisoning. That's what they were doing. (laughs) Being run by old New New Gordon. Um, No, because he was estranged from his father at that point. Uh, Okay. I mean... I guess we could now, now that the show's over, we could find out what, <laughs> right. really, what really happened to all yeah. those people. But, like, it left such a bad taste in our mouth. <laughs> Let's never go um, No. Yeah. Ugh. Jesus. Uh, the A-line gets introduced in 1955. So we're not seeing that here yet. But I'm sure mm-hmm. Margaret will be sporting one in the next season. Um, you also see a complete revolution in undergarments. Um, they start producing girdles and brassieres and that kind of thing that have stretch and, uh, rather than boning. Mm. So they're still very restrictive, but they are not quite as restrictive as they had been. Um, and you also see a new kind of bustier for strapless dresses, which we see Margaret wear strapless quite frequently because she looks so fabulous. <laughs> um, we see in 1954, there was a big increase in interest in fur. Uh, and fur, it was always popular as a coat, mm-hmm. but it was especially popular in the 50s as stoles. Stoles very quickly became the fur accessory to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you could wear it with a lot of different things. You know, you could wear it year-round versus a fur coat being pretty impractical for the summertime uh-huh. um, as fans of the book Butterfield 8 know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, I'm going to actually just post a link because I found this really great website called back-when.com that breaks things down into individual years and really dissects the fashion development um, from year to year, uh-huh. which I found really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And it's, but it's interesting too, like as we're now in the fifties versus, you know, trying to talk about even the 1920s, there's just way more information. Mm. Um, whether that's because, you know, we're closer to primary sources or it was just a more exciting time. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot more information available. I'm trying to pick out just some highlights here. Well, I would think too, the sort of the, the rise of the middle class in the fifties would just lead to more, in you know to a wider interest in fashion oh definitely i mean people just you know people had a lot more expendable income there was this real resurgence in just like color um you know things had been very you know black and white um in the years during the war but you know now it was possible to get these really luxurious fabrics and colors um (laughs) In 1952, uh, the Mamie Bang, imitating Mrs. Dwight Eisenhower's neat forehead ringlets, became a pronounced fad. Uh, wow. So she was the Rachel of 1952. <laughs> Good job, Mamie. <laughs> and then you also see... Uh, I'm going to leave that to you guys because I'm very happy with my asymmetrical bang as is. Um... We also see synthetics. This is the rise of synthetics, which also helps, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to be getting silk and Irish linen. You can be getting these sort of imitation fabrics mm, mm-hmm. uh, that are made of petroleum. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's great for America. Um, there's also a resurgence in the sheath dress. So the sheath dress was popular in the 20s, but that did not have a lot of nip at the bust and the waist. This is much more form-fitting. So the silhouette is very curvy. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why when I used to work out at a gym that had TV screens, I liked to watch TCM because I was like, <laughs> hey, I could look like them. They look normal. <laughs> and skirt lengths in 1953... <laughs> Okay, guys, hold on. Okay. So at the beginning of 1953, skirts were about 13 inches from the floor with standard. And then they rose to 15 and a half inches from the floor and chaos. <laughs> Autumn 1953 fashion week craziness. It was all Dior's fault. <laughs> oh, and then um, following the poodle cut, there's the Italian haircut, uh, which is short layered locks with carefully quote-unquote casual tendrils brushed toward the face. I don't know why casual is in quotation marks like that. Um, women are using a lot of crinoline petticoats under extra full skirts, and uh, the waist was also very important. People were wearing a lot of belts and uh, cummerbunds. Even women were wearing cummerbunds. Goodness. It was a very gender-fluid time. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Bathing suits were either molded to the figure or made like uh, little girl rompers, which I'm like, give me a romper to swim in. That sounds (laughs) delightful and a lot easier to move around in. And uh, then this is also in 1953, the Cotton Fashion Award was inaugurated. Uh, It was awarded in 1953 to Adele Simpson, who presumably had done a lot of cool things with (laughs) cotton. 
Great. Um, this, of course, is also the year of the coronation, mm-hmm. and Liz became a very popular fashion icon. And that's really interesting because they talk a lot about her, you know, being the most famous woman in the world, but they, you know, we don't really see the impact of that mm-hmm. on everyday people. Mm-hmm. I know it's surprising that we don't spend a lot of time <laughs> with everyday people on this show about the British monarchy, but here we are. Yeah. Makeup was a very natural look except for the doe eye, which was a fine pencil line edging the entire eye and then kind of going up in a slant at the corner. And that was very popular amongst the sophisticated women in European and American cities. Uh, I don't know when Bambi came out. I assume it was part of that. It was around then. Um, and so men's clothes also got a lot more elaborate. You see a lot more uh, exciting patterns and ascots and neckties and that kind of thing. And again, you're really seeing the boom of consumer culture. So marketers and you know uh goods producers everywhere are like oh hey if we just make stuff we can force people to buy it (laughs) and thus the predicament we all find ourselves in now (laughs) occupy whatever um and then we also see a lot of different like woolen coats and there's a lot of experimentation with wool around what's the pile so Mm -hmm. there was actually poodle wool not to be confused with the poodle cut. And I mean, you've probably seen this around, but it's sort of got like curly uh, threads all over it and, you know, kind of knobbier wools and that kind of thing. Um, people got very excited about jumpers in 1954. They uh, were rivaling the blouse and skirt. <laughs> so if you know somebody who's really got a boner for 1954, buy him a jumper. I do. And... Uh, you do okay. Well, and you're getting a jumper for your birthday. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so you also see sort of more sexual daring happening. Um, Bring it. You know, there's yeah, there's like you know, kind of like peekaboo blouses and keyholes in dresses. So women are women are able to kind of tart it up. You know, not in the same way that you would see in the 60s when miniskirts became popular and also um, nudity. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's there's this real uh, commodification of the female form and a different mode of expression for women. It's not it's just funny because we think of the 50s as being so conservative. Mm-hmm. But when compared and contrasted with the very, you know, sensible, plain, uh, you know, Again, conservative mm-hmm. uh, styles of the 1940s. The 1950s are basically like a porn magazine. <laughs> um, so to wrap this up, here he is. Um, there's another guy. Oh, I lied. Balenciaga did not die in the same year as Christian Dior. Oh. Uh, who did die in the same year as Christian Dior is Jacques Pfaff. Uh He designed the Gilda dress from the movie Gilda starring Rita Hayworth. Mm. Um, so basically he marketed Dior's new look to a slightly younger audience. Um, there were plunging necklines very into the, the hourglass figure. Uh, the other prominent, uh, the other prominent fashion designer is Pierre Balmain, uh, mentioned in Peter Sarstedt's song, where do you go to my lovely, which I don't think is the name of that song, but you know, that song is like, where do you go? I want to know. Oh, my lovely, I think. I don't know. I'm not, I could look it up. I'm not sure. <laughs> Listen, 
I didn't, I barely did any research for this and I'm not going to start now. <laughs> um, and again, Coco Chanel. Oh, Coco, you were a Nazi. Yep. Here's the thing about Nazis. <laughs> and I mean, I think we're seeing this today also because it's like, okay, people are like mad about Nazis, right? But then they're like, mm, but like their clothes are cute, you know? <laughs> And, you know, I, it's always stuck with me that Sarah Silverman joke about she doesn't understand uh, Jews who drive Volkswagens because Volkswagen uh, collaborated with the Third Reich. And, you know, I feel like there there comes a certain fatigue. Let's call it Nazi fatigue. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, you know, you're like mad about shit, but you can only be so mad at so many things for so long. Um, and that's my take on Chanel. <laughs> okay i guess yeah i feel like this made a lot more sense in my head <laughs> no i'm not said i've never bought anything from chanel so <laughs> why would i care yeah yeah that was fashion backwards okay well thank you yeah yeah, yeah i did it you did it you finally did it <laughs> oh boy yeah um okay well back on the show so we uh, see Mountbatten uh, saying that it's, it is an absurd pantomime, he says, uh, as he is being got up in a very silly outfit. Yeah, he looks like a character out of Gilbert and Sullivan. I'm like, you know, I can't disagree with you here. <laughs> uh, and his great escape friend is there uh, listening to him complain, and he talks about how the empire has declined and, you know, all these places are independent now, and that they're uh, just a, a coat of paint on an old banger. Uh, to, to make everybody think that the Empire is still okay. He's so mad. Yeah. And it's like, you know, maybe you're just angry because you're the nephew of the man who gave away India. <laughs> uh, we okay. then see Tommy the mustache. Sorry, Levi, did you have something? Well, okay, so here's the thing about... I've, I've been trying to figure this out about um, Matt Smith. It, did they put a ton of makeup on him, or does he just look weird now? Or he he looks real weird? tan, particularly in these later episodes. And maybe he did in the first ones and I just wasn't paying attention. But he just looks real tan. I don't know if it's all this time out flying or what the <laughs> deal is, but like he's tanner than you'd expect an Englishman to be. Well, and it's not even just his tan. I just feel like his face looks so lumpy. And I'm like, has it always been that lumpy? But maybe it has. I don't know. I think it has. Like, yeah. I don't care what anybody says. Matt Smith is not cute. <laughs> I agree. No, Justin <laughs> Trudeau, he. No, he does not do it for me. I don't understand what he does he, for Elizabeth either, to be quite honest. Right? Yeah. Like, uh, they don't need, I don't know. Well, she fell in love with him at 13, so it's really hard to speculate. This is not a healthy relationship. <laughs> like, is it less healthy than the relationships in Oliver? No. <laughs> but I just don't, you know, I don't, like, he has to have, like, a solid gold dick or something. <laughs> like, but people barely even knew what a female orgasm was. So I just don't feel like Liz is not operating with all the facts. <laughs> right. And we have no real sense of, like, we, we had no, we have no sense of their courtship or, or, or what they, you know, because at the beginning of the series, it's just like basically she's decided like this is the one I want, and well, and he's an else asshole can... about every like you know they they're talking and he's just like, uh, I went through all this stuff to marry you. It's worth it, I guess. <laughs> it's just like, um, you're mean. Yeah, yeah. I don't like you. <laughs> 
I I really am curious what, if anything, the palace feels about this portrayal of Prince Philip, who's still alive. <laughs> right. Like they're, they're, they, I feel like they use kid gloves on Liz, but with uh, Philip, they're just like, fuck this guy. <laughs> Nobody likes this guy. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so we see Tommy the mustache chatting with the queen mum, and she says it's so good of him to keep looking after her in his retirement. And I'm like, Jesus. Yeah codependent much tommy the mustache yeah go to france or something go do other stuff (laughs) you know it's just it's absurd anyway he's discussing the queen's duties that will need to be seen to by the queen mum in liz's absence and the queen mum is like uh i'm going to scotland so let's get margaret to do this stuff um, and Tommy the mustache isn't like super into that idea, but the queen mom is like, uh, we can get, you know, Margaret just needs to get back on track. Cause, oh, I don't know. She's been bummed since her boyfriend was banished to Brussels. Yeah. He, she says how she needs to shine a little, mm-hmm. which I agree. I'm all for Margaret shining. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the queen mom looks at her photo of King Lane Price and is sad. And she says she wants to disappear to Scotland for a while. And I'm like, man, we all want to disappear to Scotland for a while. But some of us have jobs. <laughs> One person with a job. Group Captain Peter Townsend. <laughs> I mean, that's job in quotation marks. Yeah, well, it still sucks. Because um, we see uh, he's having a phone conversation with Margaret, who's smoking in bed, as Man, usual. Margaret smoking just makes me want to smoke so bad. <laughs> I'm like, she's so glam. I know I don't look as glamorous as her. Wow. That's They've true. totally been having phone sex, right? I mean, you know, Margaret seems like she's discovered the female orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> I think she has no problem with that. She's got a passing familiarity with the works of Simone de Beauvoir. <laughs> uh yeah, uh, but in any case, Group Captain Peter Townsend can only say so much because there is a guy in his office at all times who's basically there just to spy on him, apparently. Well, and be like, hey, you know, he was planning to meet her, and they aren't allowed, man. Yeah, I, I guess that's it. I don't know why he sounds like that angry hippie from Futurama, but <laughs> here we are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they're both real bummed about having to spend two years apart from each other. And uh, Margaret says that she needs him to, to like, guide her and that she feels unanchored without him. It's a cute scene. Yeah. And also sad. Yeah. We then see corgis. <laughs> corgis. <laughs> they're barking as que- the queen mom heads off to Scotland. And she's talking to Liz and she says that she'll see her when she's back from her tour in 23 weeks. That's um, over half of the year that Liz is going to be on the road. Yeah. Which well, is... A little a long, long time. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> Sorry. No, that is a very long uh, like, trip. Like, that sounds horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And she says for Liz to call her if she needs anything, but then she gets very martyry about how she has two grown daughters who don't need her anymore. I would argue Margaret perhaps needs her. <laughs> Um, but the queen mum says that she's staying with the Viners to really get away from it all and have a good think. Liz says, well, try not to think too much or too deeply as it just gets one in a muddle. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's a pretty damning thing for the monarch to say, you know, <laughs> right? the still living monarch. I'm like, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And Who needs self Right? Oh, well, not Liz, apparently. It's not part of her job description. 
The queen mom also, says... Like, why, it's, it's interesting to me how she also... Like, there are also two grandchildren, right? Oh, right. I keep forgetting about them. <laughs> yeah, They're never around. Everybody else forgets about them, too. But I'm like, it's sort of like she has, even as a grandmother, she has absolutely zero interest. Yeah. Nobody that's just, these kids. that's just not the culture. You right. know, those kids are being raised by nannies as God intended. Right. <laughs> Too much contact with the family would make them go all squidgy. Yeah. Whereas the nannies seem to have done a great job. <laughs> I mean, let's just harken back to that Princess Diana story. Um so the queen mom says that Margaret will deputize as head of state. Liz does not think this is a good idea. And the queen mom says that Liz needs to allow Margaret room to shine. And Liz is like, mm, I don't think so. I don't want to. Yeah. Cause Liz's whole thing is like the way she's like, so are you sure she, you know, like coming up with like four different ways to say like, she's going to fuck this up, you know? And, and she is going to fuck. I mean, look, I love Margaret and mm-hmm. I wish she, she got to do things her way, but she is going to fuck everything up. Yeah. That's what Margaret does. <laughs> uh, so we see Margaret with a sword. Uh, she is practicing her knighting uh, thing. And so Liz comes in and Margaret tells her to kneel and, you know, she needs to know that she's doing it right. Uh, and this scene is uh, super. Oh, my God. It's great. Yeah. I love it's... this scene. It's so good. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, and it's so theatrical. It's like, oh, Liz is literally kneeling. Yeah. Margaret has the literal upper hand and a sword. <laughs> yeah. And Liz is like, okay, that's a little heavy because <laughs> she's really like digging into her shoulder with the edge of the sword. Yeah. And she's like, it's the flattage, remember? <laughs> uh, so she, Margaret talks about uh, Peter and says that he's having a very dull time in Brussels and is avoiding traps. Uh, that uh, people are apparently setting for him. Uh, Mar- Liz says, thinks that that is paranoid, uh, and then they get into a conversation about who has uh, Margaret having an excess of character, whereas Liz having an entire lack of it. Um, and like, so like Liz says to Margaret, "Oh, you have an excess of character," and Margaret's like, "Admit it. You're a little jealous when you say that." Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's amazing. Yeah, it's this a real. Yeah, yeah. So then we see Liz and Mountbatten boarding a plane to Bermuda, and they both look fairly grim once they get past the crush of people and reporters wishing them well. And then on the plane, Churchill is there, and he gives Liz a very depressing pep talk about how her dad died while she was on her last world tour. (laughs) And uh, this is a real chance to keep the Empire from slipping away. And that he, that she has never to let people see the real Elizabeth Windsor or the burden of the crown. Um, which again, like, is this a real job? Like- <laughs> well, and I feel like because like he, he, she was like, he was like, you know, remember your father's example, let his spirit guide you. And she's like, all right, good pep talk. And then he's like, and never let them see the real Elizabeth Windsor. And she was like, oh, <laughs> really took a dive at the end there. <laughs> Uh, so we see a car driving in Scotland and the Queen Mum sitting in there looking at the scenery, which is lovely. It's very beautiful. Yeah. Uh, she has literally let her hair down out in the countryside. 
Uh, we see someone named Doris greet her, Doris Viner, I assume, and uh, she says that she wants to go for a walk, or better yet, a ride. And so we see them riding horses along a beach in just a really nice shot. Yeah, like, this this seems like a great idea, even though I am terrified of horses. <laughs> I think it's for the best that I never became a successful actress because I would probably have to ride a horse at some point. <laughs> and I don't know if I could handle that. Well, I understand. No, I really... the They go for a lot of, like, you know, I don't know, ambitious or just, like, impactful shots. And a lot of them don't work for me. But this whole horse riding scene really did. Mm-hmm. So, Levi, how do you feel about horses? Uh, I'm pro-horses. Um, I grew up with horses. So, oh, right. I keep forgetting um, that you're from the West. <laughs> I am. I grew up on a farm, and we... Um, my my grandparents raised um, raised horses, actually. So, oh wow! Um, yeah. yeah, so I grew up around them. They're pretty great, but yeah, you have to. I mean, they're not something you should mess around with. Like, you really do have to be careful around them. And I mean, they're big. Yeah, they can kill animals. you. They can easily kill you. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's uh, horseback riding is really fun. Um, if you're, especially if you're like you know running along a beach, they, they make Scotland look really good in this show. They yeah. do. Yeah. Uh, so then the queen mum uh, seems like she's actually happy for the first time in ages, which is ironic given what follows immediately. Um, but her hosts say that she can stay with them anytime she likes, or perhaps she'd like to buy a neighboring castle. Uh, some old coot is selling a neighboring castle. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, they, he apparently sings to the seals as they swim by. Doesn't everybody do that? <laughs> <laughs> Come visit me at Pier 39. Um, so the guy, the man Viner, whose name I didn't catch, asks if it's been difficult for the queen mum. And she monologues about her many losses and then breaks down. And I didn't recap this in detail, but it's great. And basically she's talking about, I spent 17 years learning how to be the queen. Mm -hmm. And then her husband dies and they're just like, oh, well, you can't do stuff anymore. Um, and she says, you know, Liz is just totally unprepared for the job which i would say uh, like kind of but like i think she's a little overstating things yeah yeah um but then she she britishes an apology oh yeah like she's like crying she's like oh goodness i'm terribly sorry and i'm like they asked how you were man yeah no just this I is just this the scene. i thought it was um... oh yeah yeah oh it's amazing yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and, well, and, and just particularly, like, the, you know, she gives the whole rundown of, like, she lost her husband, then she lost her home, and now her daughters are grown up, and she has no purpose, and, you know, and she's, you know, continually losing it, and you're, like, really sympathizing with her, mm-hmm. and, and then just, like, she slides in this, like, bitchy comment about <laughs> Elizabeth not being equipped, and you're like, oh, yeah. oh you just can't let him, you just can't let one go, can you? Um, yeah, it's those seventy units of alcohol. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, and also just like, just seeing the sort of um, horribleness of English upper class conventions of just like, you know, she has to apologize just for showing emotion at the death of her husband. You know, among everything else, it's just rough. Yeah, well, these like weird toxic relationships between family members i don't know so um this may be a little off topic but have you guys watched any of the new victoria series we haven't yet um, one queen at a time that's our motto yeah, yeah, yeah. no it's um i so i've been working my way through it and it's actually i think it's really good and it in a way it sort of 
it ties in kind of really interestingly with this series, but it's like you just really get this like, oh my god, all of these royals were just all of their relationships between mothers and daughters are just so toxic. It's really shocking. I would go so far as to say every relationship between mothers and daughters is so toxic. <laughs> well, fair point. Fair point. <laughs> I you know, I mean uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a difficult relationship because we live in the patriarchy. I don't want to alarm anyone, but we live in the patriarchy. And so you've got mothers trying to raise daughters to function in the patriarchy. And, you know, that's conflict from the get-go. Yeah. And it's like if you if the mother and the daughter don't agree on to what extent you should comply with the patriarchy, that's real difficult. And I think it's a bit different with fathers and sons because you know je- you know there's a lot of caveats involved here so sure. for for the sake of this argument let's just assume <laughs> everybody is a heterosexual cisgendered person um because you know, that's what society wants you to be look i didn't say it was fun <laughs> patriarchy is not fun levi it's not cool <laughs> But, you know, the son, even if the son defies the father, the son still has this inherent privilege mm-hmm. that the daughter is not going to have. Yeah. Um, and the mother knows that because she has been through, you know, these yeah. trenches before. Um, so it's just really it's it's bad. And then when you throw in the monarchy on top of all that. um yeah. You know, I still don't think that's as complex as throwing in a different sexual orientation or gender identity or ethnic identity. But uh it's it's hard. Yeah, I mean yeah. when you when you when you load it up with all of these expectations and power and tradition and um yeah, and, sort of, it's, and it's just so dehumanizing, which I mm-hmm. think you know, we keep seeing this again and again how it's continually like don't be a person, don't let them show that you're a person. Like it's all you're basically at this point you're just a symbol um so then with within that very uh dehumanizing construct like uh, yeah i mean just like trying to trying to be a human within that very limited boundary even among other people that are like trying so desperately to maintain those boundaries for you um it just sounds horrifying agreed yeah yeah uh so anyway Liz is speaking in Bermuda and saying, boy, you know, a lot of people seem to be uh, wanting independence, but you guys don't, right? Right, everybody? And all the white people are like, no, we don't want it. <laughs> and all of the not white people are like, mm, we're a cooking of something up. <laughs> I mean, you know. Although I guess not in Bermuda. Yeah, they, they, they stuck around, so that's fine. Um, although, so then, uh, they're walking along and somebody in a ridiculous hat, who I assume is like the governor or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, says that, oh, it's a good job. And, and, uh, Mountbatten paraphrases it as stay loyal or die. Uh, and I'm like, dude, you're, those Bermudans are right there. They can hear you yeah. saying that. And also, number one, yeah. And number two, uh, you have spent a lot of real estate on this show complaining about what does happen when people revolt. So I think you'd be pro or die. <laughs> yeah. So Michael Adine, God, I wish it was, I, I wish know. it was the other guy. Yeah, but he gets 
you know, then we would have had Michael Adeen with Margaret in this rather than That's him. true. So, so, yeah. Anyway, Michael Adeen rushes Liz to their next appearance and outlines their schedule for the rest of the day. And Mountbatten snarks about, you know, when they get to use the lavatory and hopes that the next day won't be so insane. <laughs> uh, however, that does not seem to be in the cards because we see them on the plane to Jamaica where Mountbatten pours a large drink <laughs> and uh, complains about having to wave like lunatics and hopes everyone will eventually own television sets and won't come out to see them in person. Uh, spoiler alert. That's not how life works <laughs> because when everybody has a television set, people want to be on the television set for the other people who aren't there. Yeah. <laughs> um, watch America's Funniest Home Videos for more information. <laughs> uh, and then Adine starts outlining their itinerary again. Yeah. Uh, one I feel like he is being such a – like he's been a twat this whole series, but this uh-huh. episode, he's the twattiest. Oh, absolutely. And it's like he makes – there's occasional moments in this episode where he makes good points. Sure, However, yeah. that is not, you know, that is not on balance with the fact that he's not showing up to support his wife in specifically the way that King Lane Price failed to impress upon him in the first episode. I mean, I think if we talk about, you know, what is this series about? It's possibly just about the fact that uh, Prince Philip is a complete failure. <laughs> As a royal spouse. <laughs> Could be. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I, don't, I, I didn't have anything to say about that. Sorry. Uh, uh, horrifying <laughs> vision of things to come. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, so we see them on television. So somebody owns a television set. It's Princess Margaret. It's almost always Princess Margaret. Like I, anytime yeah. the TV happens, I'm like, oh, Margaret's watching TV again. <laughs> Uh, so an aide brings in a speech that she's going to be delivering, and uh, she reads it and grows concerned, uh, and then requests a pencil and for Martin to uh, come the next day. She looks at the TV all murderously, oh. I think. I, it could be interpreted a number of ways. Though I think there's definitely uh, jealousy in that look. Yeah. So then a car pulls up, uh, dropping Charteris at Clarence's house. So Margaret gets the benefit of Philip's tinkering and redecorating. Oh, yeah. Like when, a sissy. Like a sissy. Uh, yeah. Actually, I'm curious how uh, that made you feel, Levi. Like Which when part? So this is, um, was this two episodes ago? I forget when. When when Philip was complaining about having to redecorate uh, Clarence's house, which made him feel like a sissy, oh. we found that to be real homophobic and didn't oh, care for it. Real homophobic. Oh yeah, no, I don't care for it at all. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I thought. No, you're like no. I think it's great that he's shit talking <laughs> sissies. Well, it's also. I mean, because wasn't at the very, or, you know, at the very first of the series when before they before um, they move into. Buckingham Palace, like, wasn't he all excited about decorating the fucking house? He was. He was like, this is my first proper home, but now he's retconned that whole experience uh, to shit on people who don't have human rights at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It's gross. (sighs) I hate him. Anyway, okay. You know who I love? Charteris. Who? Oh my god, he's so great. I want him to be my personal secretary. I know, and personal husband. (laughs) <laughs> yes, he is so like he's so much cuter here than he was in Downton Abbey. Yeah, so I feel like cuter. they made him look real doofy because he was marrying Edith. <laughs> yeah, no, he's looking fine in this show. For more opinions about Downton Abbey, listen to our back catalog. <laughs> thousands and thousands of opinions. <laughs> 
Um, so Margaret is still marking up her speech with a pencil. I take issue with the editing here uh-huh. because it seemed like she had started marking it up the night before. Mm-hmm. I find it hard to believe that she's still marking it up. The fu- whatever. I okay. Don't, no. Anyway, uh, he comes in and uh, she's like, uh, so obviously this was written for my sister and I'm going to make some adjustments. And Charteris is like, um, probably not. Like, <laughs> I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah. But uh, he tells her it's not the sovereign's place to entertain. And I'm like, I kind of disagree. Like, if you don't have any actual government power, at least be hilarious. <laughs> Well, and this is the fundamental issue that I have. Well, the fact that, like, Margaret gets it and nobody else does. Yeah. I mean... Like, at this point, like, if you're simply a figurehead with no real power, your only job is to entertain. Yeah. Although, well, I'll I'll get to it more later, what I think the real issue was uh, when okay. we get to that scene. Uh, but I do, I do like... I like that, like, Margaret's like a top chef, you know, chef test over uh-huh. here. Just like, I'm going to put my own spin on this classic dish. I'm going to put my own spin on chicken and waffles. <laughs> I know it's American. I know it's unconventional. <laughs> and you're like, mm, better pack up your knives. Um, <laughs> so we For s- more opinions on Top Chef, <laughs> visit our Patreon page. That's right. There's only a little bit of opinions about Top Chef so far. Yeah. I still haven't watched the finale. Uh, me neither. So that's so anyway. that's what we're gonna do after this. Okay. <laughs> um, so we see cars pulling up somewhere fancy, and Margaret is getting dressed and asking to wear some of her sister's tiaras, which is so cute. Yeah. I would totally try to scam a tiara in this situation. <laughs> uh, so she climbs the stairs, looking fantastic as usual. God, she looks so great. Mm. Oh, so good. I so- want to wear her as a skin suit <laughs> and also a dress suit. So. <laughs> Right, well, uh, the skin and the dress. It's no good if it's just the skin. <laughs> so, she's she gives her speech and uh, clearly starts going off script. And Martin's look as the speech progresses is great. Uh, and so Tom actually watched this episode before me, and so I get this text for him that's like very like exclamation point and it's like have you watched the episode yet and i was like no and then i did and so then i wrote back in all caps like margaret's a stand-up comedian <laughs> so good. yeah it was such a like you know comedy central roast vibe oh to my the god it was am- the toss loved it yeah they were like how oh, finally someone's hoisting us on our own baton <laughs> <laughs> yeah so anyway uh, great comic timing. Watch the scene. We can't do it justice. It was really good. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Uh, so we then see her recapping it to Peter on the phone. This is so cute. She's like, I did good at my show. <laughs> and, uh, he, uh, and she says she wants to get as, she's told her staff to book her as many engagements as possible. <laughs> and she wants him to come and see her in action, which is also so cute. But he's like, um, no, no, man. <laughs> right. Like the rule, there's one rule, and it's that I can't see you. And she tells him, you know, she tries to remind him that the press and the people are for them. Mm-hmm. So if they did, you know, that would be received very well. But, you know, Peter, uh, Peter, I think, understands a bit more clearly that it doesn't need, if we've learned anything from the previous episode, it's that it doesn't matter what the people and the public want, which is sort of the weird deception of the monarchy throughout this whole series, which is like, they have to be so concerned about what the public think, but if what the public thinks goes against what they want, Mm -hmm. then they're not going to do it. Yeah. 
So even if the public are like, hey, let them be together, they're clearly not going to do it. Yeah. So uh, we see Liz reading a paper with the headline, Princess Margaret, a Dazzling Host. She sure is. (laughs) Uh, And Mountbatten is complaining about, well, complaining, like he does the whole episode. And uh, Liz is sad. And he asks why, and she shows him the paper. And he's like, oh, what would you rather she made a mess of things? And Liz is upset that she's being outshone uh and like she's straight up about it she's like yeah i'm real jealous about this which i was kind of surprised to hear actually you know admit uh and you know she says philip says it's not like her and she's like oh well now you know you didn't marry a saint um so he suggests that they should maybe take some things out of the tour like maybe not see all 26 australian towns in 27 days that they have planned uh, but she says, no, they're not going to miss a single engagement. Oof. I'm like, self-care, Liz. Self-care. <laughs> I know they didn't invent self-care until the 70s, right. but. Yeah. You need a self to take care of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Truth. So Michael and Dean, they're, they're getting ready to leave and, uh, there's just already just a crush of people. And Michael Ledeen says it'll take two hours to get where they're going. Like not because it's actually two hours away, but because they have to go slowly enough that everybody in the crowd feels like they've seen them. Yeah. Um, but. And know. also for the horses to keep up. There was something Yeah, there's about horses. That. Well, and, yeah. and Mountbatten asks, you know, if they're doing this, they're doing this basically in an unair conditioned car in, I think, a hundred degree heat. Yeah. But Liz insists that they'll be fine. And, uh, then we get like a weird, okay, this yes. is one of those yeah. shots you were referring to. So yeah. there's this like close up of confetti in slow motion. And, like, slow motion of Liz and Mountbatten being photographed as, like, horror music plays. Yeah, I and, love like, you this see the, scene. See, <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, you know, guys, just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. Yeah. It felt so <laughs> out of place. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of loved it. I was like, oh, no, wow, I mean, we're going here, are we? Yeah, and, I mean, that totally makes Suddenly sense to me because... we're an Audi commercial. <laughs> yeah. No, that totally makes... Like, it doesn't work for me, but it's one of those things where you can just tell it's like it either hits for you or it doesn't. What I do like is when you see them look at each other and they're not looking at the people mm. and their faces would be obscured to the people along either side. Just the like. Yeah. I mean, talk about murderous glances. They're both <laughs> like, fuck this tour. I hate you so much. <laughs> yeah. Like, I like you, Tom, but I don't know that I'd want to spend 23 weeks <laughs> Going various places, like yeah, in, and like never having a break from you or like the schedule. Like, yeah, that sounds horrible. Being in public. Yeah, I mean, and Philip is probably real crappy because he can't go get drunk with his great escape friend on, <laughs> on the regular. Yeah, or fly. Yeah. Uh, we see the Queen Mom watching the Australian TV broadcast, uh, and then we see her walking the beach and seeing the uh, Castle of May, which is the one she's been told about, and she loves it. And I mean, it looks pretty great. Yeah, it looks pretty great and a great view. Uh, so they approach the door and greet the old coot that <laughs> was promised. <laughs> he uh, says that he's met the Queen Mother before, but he can't remember where, and he will eventually, so this is a little cute ongoing thing. Waka waka! Yeah. It's like old it's like old timey people didn't know stuff but like times 3. <laughs> yeah. So he says that uh, they just need a little work done such as new roof, windows, electricity, bathrooms and dining room. Uh, um, like what's Where's he going in the bathroom now? 
Uh, you know. In the ocean? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) And he he would really think it would be fairest just to make a gift of it to somebody. Uh, The queen mom says that she can't accept that. Something to do with who she is. Uh, he has a few more guesses, like a movie star and something else, but nope. Well, and he said that, and I was like, wow, this is when movie stars could be in their 50s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Queen Mother is super excited about impulse buying a castle. Man, I wish I could just impulse buy a castle when I'm sad. <laughs> I'm sure it would solve at least one problem. <laughs> right. While creating a score of others. <laughs> I just love how delighted she is by it. Uh, I just... Uh, yeah. This episode is so great in the sense that it's her getting to do something fun. Yeah. yeah. Just for her, not for anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we cut back to Mountbatten and Liz. And Mountbatten says Liz has to stop smiling because she's spasming in her face, <laughs> which is horrifying. Her doctor suggests rest. And Mountbatten's like, uh, yeah, doy. Listen to the doctor and me. Uh, but if she can't rest, he will uh, give her an injection with a relaxant. But uh, it might make her dribble soup on herself at the state dinner she's going to. Uh, but she decides that she's going to go with the injection. And while she's getting it, Mountbatten uh, says that the night before he woke up with his arm out of bed and he'd been waving to crowds in his sleep, which... Uh, as somebody who once was doing inventory at Crabtree and Evelyn and then dreamed that I was doing inventory the whole night and then woke up feeling robbed, I completely <laughs> empathize with this statement. Yeah. It's a, well, and I love the scene because she basically says, like, if I'm not smiling, I have resting bitch face. And <laughs> so I'd rather dribble soup all over myself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember when I got my wisdom teeth out. I was dribbling stuff everywhere. It was a good time. <clears throat> Yeah. So we see Group Captain Peter Townsend watching a newsreel with a bunch of other people. Uh, so a story about Margaret comes on and everybody's like, ah, ah, it's that chick you're boning. Ah, yeah. <laughs> or would be if you weren't banished to Brussels. <laughs> uh, and so she is visiting a coal mine and being uh, real sassy about it. I love when she came up and she's like, it's jolly dusty down there i'm like you are a delight yeah mm-hmm. uh and 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 this is where she goes wrong by uh talking about how they uh she doesn't see how anyone could work on down there and it's intolerably dark and cramped and all this sort of thing oh she pops off yeah um and then after that she also uh is has so a piece of coal as a souvenir mm-hmm. um and they ask is it for somebody special and she's like maybe and they're like is it group captain peter townsend she's like yeah well they ask if she misses him and she says yes rather a lot and then they ask if she misses her sister <laughs> and she's like mm, not as much <laughs> such a sweet burn yeah it's a very sweet burn yeah also group peter Ca- group captain peter townsend is so cute Yes. Like I realize part of this is my legacy crush from cap from coupling. <laughs> oh, but I'm just like, I oh, you just love her. You're a nerd. Yeah. So then we see group captain Peter Townsend attempting to do more of this guiding that Margaret claims <laughs> to want. And he's like, you can't diss your sister on a national international newsreel yeah. like this. Uh, also, her dress here is so fantastic. I can't even remember what it looks like, but I wrote OMG her dress in all caps. <laughs> uh, he says that the palace isn't going to like her taking 
a dig and they need the palace on their side as i was saying you know the palace is ultimately going to be the arbiter of what happens to them right so uh, we see Liz looking exhausted and Mountbatten saying once again that like the whole thing's a circus and they're the dancing bears. Uh, and he suddenly decides that he's going to start smoking again. And Liz is like, oh, hell no. Uh, this and- is so mean of him. Like yeah. her dad literally died of smoke. Like, and they know that he died of smoking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, he says that he understands why her dad smoked 40 cigarettes a day. And like he says... Uh, this again is such a great scene. I did not recap yeah, it. Yeah, because he says, uh, I think what he says is that he, uh, looked at, like, basically he looked at the, uh, the Confederation tour on his schedule and was like, oh, I'd prefer cancer. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Liz rightfully, like, flips out, tells him to shut up and to get out of the house, chases him out. Uh, saying to never come back, throws a tenant racket at him. She also threw a glass at him. Yeah. Uh, and then they pull up short because there are people filming the outside of their house. <laughs> and it's just such a, like, <laughs> like everybody's like stock still, not staying anything. Like, uh. <laughs> well, then, you know, they go back inside and Liz is like about to lose it. And Mountbatten says he'll go have a word. And she says, no, she'll do it. So she goes out. She's put on her gloves and her handbag and <laughs> yeah. her hat. And I'm like, this is 10 feet from your house. <laughs> um, but I guess you have to have your hat on in a, in a newsreel. I guess I so. I mean, unless you're throwing shit at your husband. <laughs> then people kind of don't care. Yeah. But um, she, she says, what would you like me to do for your newsreel? And the guy uh, pulls the film out of the camera, thus exposing it to light and mm-hmm. rendering it, you know, unusable Mm -hmm. and he uh says you know basically it's a gift for your majesty and and, you know the whole point clearly that peter morgan is trying to make is wow the paparazzi used to be so nice (laughs) well it was Uh, so interesting that like to watch her be willing to play you know some sort of make a deal to get you know mm -hmm. like okay she knows the game and yeah yeah um, well yeah that whole scene was just so great to watch her fall apart and lose her shit finally. Like it Mm -hmm. just felt so satisfying to watch her throw shit at him. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And a little frustrating to then have to, you know, pull it back because, you know, yeah, just realizes, Oh God, I got to rein it in. Um, yeah, yeah, it was very, yeah. And I just thought, I just thought she was so cute, I guess, going out to the reporters afterwards. Yeah. I suppose must happen in every marriage. And Oh, right. I forgot that she said that, you know, yeah, um, I also just, I literally just thought of this. I bet you anything that Philip never stopped smoking. Oh, no. Mm. I bet you he's out with his gentleman's whatever the hell, you right. know, his, his naked lady parties. <laughs> yeah. And he's smoking there. So this tour is real rough for him because he's also like fiending for a cigarette. Yeah. But he, you know, he can't get away. Yeah. And blame it on, oh, you know, the other chaps were smoking, et cetera. Right. That's a good point. What an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so we see Churchill uh, lecturing Margaret, who is lounging and smoking and not paying that much attention. <laughs> um, she's the boss. <laughs> and he says that when she is in her official duties, she is not herself. Uh, you know, something like it's not a she, she is an it. She is the crown. Uh, and Margaret disagrees and um, 
you know, because basically he says that she is shattering the illusion, but she thinks that people want somebody to inhabit the crown and, uh, you know, that that's what people are looking for. However, giant Winston Churchill is like, that's what the Dio dubs did. And it nearly destroyed everything, which again, like the him fighting Hitler thing is like, Oh really? Is that like breaking news? Thanks for reminding me. Everybody take a drink. Yeah. The queen mom's taking five. Yeah. And anyway, and he's like, uh, and he's like, it doesn't matter because Queen Mum's taking over. She's in, and she's like, she's in Scotland. And he's like, yeah. And I sent somebody to get her back right the fuck now because <laughs> you're terrible at this. It makes me sad. She's so funny. Yeah. And this, but she should go right for the BBC. And if she had just been funny, I think she would have been fine. And he talks about other things where he was, she was kind of insulting people, uh, like telling some general that she didn't want to dance with him and things like that. <laughs> Uh, but I think the main thing was her talking about the conditions at the coal mines because that is... Oh, yeah, it's a huge industry. Yeah, and it, you know, the treatment of workers is one of the key differences between the two political parties. So it's really her stepping into politics with that line. Oh, Margaret, you had your day in the sun, <laughs> and then the sun set forever. <laughs> So the Queen Mum arrives at her new castle nearly an hour late, and the coot says she clearly didn't factor in the wind when she was walking there, but he says that she'll go back twice as fast. Uh, and he's come up with a price for the castle of 100 pounds. <laughs> and he he's making sure that she wants such a fixer-upper that's going to require all this investment, and he'll move out within a week. And he says he'll walk her back to the Viners. Um, but then we see some dude <laughs> with an umbrella get down to the beach and he accosts the queen mum and he calls her your majesty right, and, right. and blows her cover and insists she returns to London. So she says, oh, bye, old coot. I have to go to know <laughs> my planet needs me. And he's like, oh, that's who you are. And he's like, why didn't you say anything? And she was just like, oh, it was really nice. That you were treating me like you would any other person. Mm-hmm. Plus, you would have charged me more for the castle. Yeah. <laughs> got a sweet and, deal on that castle. Yeah. And he, he says, spoken like a true Scotswoman, which uh, she is. Her father was actually uh, the Lord of Glums. Yeah, I know. I read that and I got so excited because of Macbeth. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this also was super. I really liked the end of this scene with the two of them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're. Their whole little mini arc here. They were great in every scene together. And she's wearing a ridiculous ass hat. <laughs> I just need to say, like, that hat is not flattering. <laughs> on anyone. Yeah. So they're on a ship, and Liz is editing the text of her speech, and she wants to make an edit. Her edits are much more acceptable than Margaret's, by the way. <laughs> but she wants to call Malta her island of happy memories, which is... It's both kind of a, a dig at Philip, but also trying to smooth things over and be like, remember when we were on Malta and you got to, you know, row shirtless with all those guys and <laughs> we had a bagpiper for some reason. So apparently there are still security concerns about Gibraltar, uh, primarily death threats yeah. against Liz. And um, Mountbatten doesn't want to go, but Liz says that pulling out would make them look weak, and Liz dresses him down. Yeah. And, you know, she really asserts herself, you know, and it's an echo of the way in the first scene that she was like, I'm the head of this family. Mm-hmm. And here, too, she's like, uh, I'm the head of this family. Quit being an asshole. Yeah. Like, she's something along the lines of, you know, maybe a better person, a diff- maybe a different person would have a better personality, more suited to this, but for better or worse, I'm the queen. That's it. Yeah. So it was it was pretty good. 
Yeah, I, I was trying to look into uh, Gibraltar a bit, and it turned out not to really be interesting enough to do a whole segment but about... But it has such a cool name. Yeah. Uh, but it basically, it... it <laughs> It was awarded to England at the end of the War of Spanish Succession in, like, around 1700. Uh, and in that treaty, it was assigned, like, forever permanently with no impediment or whatever. Uh, but a few years later, Spain decided that the, they had a do-over because uh, the English had let Jews live there. That was their excuse. Um, and so they've basically just been disputing it back and forth essentially ever since. Um, and... I'm not sure who they were showing fighting because the actual residents of Gibraltar in this period were massively in favor of staying with Britain over Spain, uh, which was still under uh, Franco at that point. Um, there was some vote that went like 14,000 to like seven in favor of staying with Britain. Um, so I don't know who would have been p- protesting in Gibraltar itself. Um, I mean, the, the IRA... Uh, had a few bombs there over the course of the Troubles. but The IRA has a few bombs everywhere. Right, exactly. So it it is kind of weird to me that Gibraltar specifically would be the place they were concerned based on what I can understand about where it was at in, in its history. But, you know, whatever. Uh, so we see footage of the royal yacht sailing to Gibraltar and a 21-gun salute. And, and actually, I, I think it's actually they're pulling back into the England. The timing on this is very weird. Oh, okay. Because they're returning to Britain, but also the Queen Mum is coming back or something. And it's... Yeah. And it's no, like, I had, and he lied some of those 23 weeks in here somewhere. Yeah. So a bit unclear, but... like, I know the Queen Mum was not in... Uh, she was not in Scotland for 23 <laughs> weeks. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so anyway, wherever it is, everybody's happy, the monarchy is saved, according to the announcer, and, you know, things are great. So it's, uh, they didn't miss a single one of the colossal list of engagements. So we see a car pull up uh, at Clarence House or whatever, and the queen mom walks in to see Margaret, uh, and... And Margaret's watching the broadcast right, again. Right. And so she doesn't see her initially. Yeah. And so, uh, it's, the Queen Mum seems very happy to see Margaret. And Margaret, uh, you know, less so because, of course, her, you know, it's the sign of her disgrace. Um, so Margaret leaves the room. We see the cars pull up to Buckingham Palace and Philip is playing with the kids. Oh, hey, there's the kids. <laughs> playing the kids and the corgis. And Michael Ledeen lets Liz know that Churchill has arrived. And he congratulates her and says she's basically saved the empire, which we all know is (laughs) not true. And then he shit-talks Margaret, and Liz wants to know what she should do. Mm -hmm. So uh, we find out. We see Margaret coming to see Liz. She's being escorted through the palace, which she is not happy about. She says, I did used to live here, you know. Yeah. Uh, But it's partly because she's not going where she expects to be. She's going to Liz's office. Um. So she uh, curtsies sarcastically to Liz, and Liz says that she you had a very simple brief, and uh, that she screwed up and gave them instability and drama. She describes some of the people she offended that will need reparations. I mean, she did not hang out with the dancing troupe. That and was late to their. That was rude. Yeah, that was rude. They were children. Yeah. <laughs> um. Margaret accuses Liz of 
enjoying the chance to dress her down. And they both talk about how they're envious of the other one because, you know, Liz gets the fame and the glory, whereas Margaret has the freedom. And so they, you know, they just go back and forth about that. And then they talk about how uh, King Liam Price used to call them their pride and joy. Uh, and Liz says, uh, Liz is my pride and Margaret is my joy. And Margaret says, it corrects her and says, but Margaret is my joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just the, the details of the dialogue in this are really, really good. And uh, Margaret asks Liz to admit that she, Margaret, was King Lane Price's favorite uh, because that's the only thing she has to go on. Uh, and... You know, because otherwise her whole life she's doomed to be a lesser thing. And Liz says, but you spend so much time telling me that I'm a lesser thing. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and Margaret asks her if she could just once in a while mess up, put a foot wrong. Uh, she's just asking because that would give her a future that she can bear. Um, and Liz's response to that is, do I have your word that the apologies will be made? Uh, and we can send someone to help you with that. And uh, Margaret's like, uh, no need, and, and leaves. And, and Liz stands alone yeah. once again. Yeah. So this, yeah, this this climactic title scene, it's just like... It's so good. Yeah. Such a good scene. And it, yeah. And just Liz being like, uh, you know, I guess Liz deciding, like, uh, we can't be friends. Like, yeah. And just having to be cold and, and mean to her sister, and it's... You know, which she wouldn't necessarily have done a few episodes ago. Yeah. And then we cut to what I'm calling Crap Castle. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we see the Queen Mum walking out onto a cliff and looking at the sea, very happy. And that's the end of the episode, which is a bit of a strange ending. But somebody uh, was happy. Yeah. Somebody somebody got what they want in this episode. Yeah. So that is Pride and Joy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Uh, that was a good one. Yeah, it was. It really was. It had instability. It had drama. It had everything. Yeah. Well, just I and I just think that it's sort of what put it over the top for me was just that fight with Liz and Philip. Um, it just really it was like that. That was something that was kind of missing from the show in a way. Yeah. Just the them really get, getting at, you know mad at each other because. Mm-hmm. You know, he, because he doesn't treat her well. Yeah. Like, it's about time. <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, we're about done here. Yeah. Levi, thank you so much for joining us. Any uh, parting thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I, <clears throat> I I love this episode. And I think that, you know, kind of bookending it with these scenes between um, Margaret and Elizabeth, you know, kind of essentially... Uh, you know, kind of marking their territory. Well, particularly Elizabeth marking her territory and just really the, the conflict between the sisters becoming like kind of the central uh, drama of the show or at least mm-hmm. this episode, I just think was so fascinating. And I think, you know, in um, watching these, so like one of my favorite, all time favorite movies is Elizabeth with Kate Blanchett. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, which, and um, you know, so watching that, watching this, and um, the current Victoria series, it's like there's this really interesting, like I'm, I'm fascinated by monarchy in general, but particularly with the female monarchs and the way that they constantly have to, they're, they're 
constantly having to like reassert their authority because the structure they're they're working within is so patriarchal and they're constantly being questioned based on their gender of like are you really up for this are you capable of handling this you know they're, they're constantly being mansplained to by these dudes who are like no this is how we do things um even though like you're technically the head of state but we're not going to let you be um i just find it really fascinating and i think this is one of these episodes where you know she kind of takes it out on both uh philip and margaret a little bit but it's sort of like after constantly being undermined and questioned and being told that she's not good enough and not capable she really kind of has to like reassert herself here at the end um almost cruel i mean she's cold as ice with margaret Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. um which i find is really kind of shocking and i just i think it's sort of like obviously like you know we um are about to find out um other you know other things tensions that will kind of go forward in their relationship but i just think it's sort of like watching her grow up and grow into this um position is really fascinating and i think like because of the like the other thing i loved about this episode was the way that it really like underlines the 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 thing about what what is the monarchy moving forward because it's like the empire is kind of falling apart and we're we're you know churchill and the the palace is trying to desperately like let's do this tour to kind of hold things together um meanwhile like Ma- uh, margaret is the one who's like realizing like things are changing people want to mm-hmm. see a person behind the throne like they you know that people want a personality and mm-hmm. um it seems like she's she's decades ahead of her time i think it's like it's foreshadowing a lot of the diana drama mm-hmm. to come later like i think she was the proto diana you know um yeah. because people yeah. adored well, her and, and they mean, were fascinated and by her the monarchy still hasn't taken that lesson Right. You know, I mean, I, mean, um, I think you see a little bit with William and Harry and, yeah. obviously, you know, Kate Middleton, but it's like there's still not, you know, there's there's not a humanity to the monarchy still. Um, you know, and I don't think that's going to change with uh, Charles when he becomes king because he's no. a robot. Yeah, he's a robot. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it's so bizarre. And I mean, they're, you know, they're the premier monarchy in the Western world, if yeah. not the entire world. Right. And so everybody's kind of taking their cues from them, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. because they have babies they want to marry to their babies, which is <laughs> creepy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, cause I know you're always talking about like, what is the monarchy relevant and like, what are, you know, are you pro or are you anti-monarchy? And, and I, I kind of have a mixed um, opinion about this because I think objectively, I do think it is kind of worthless and pointless. Um, mm-hmm. But I, but I also think symbolism is very important and, and, you know, we love, um, culturally, like we, we, we need symbols and we love symbols. And I think the British monarchy is one of those that like, you know, you, you know, you ask people on a, they don't want to get rid of it, you know, for whatever reason, as much as they like hate, they may hate individuals. They still particularly like having Kings and Queens. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, but I think it's interesting, like, watching them having to like relearn yeah because i feel you know um it seems like they've learned some of their lessons in that like kate middleton is not royalty like she wasn't born a royal you know or mm-hmm. or camilla you know like kind of they're they're able to soften a few of these edges and and break down a couple of these barriers but there's you know even within that though they're still sort of rigid and yeah there's not a lot of personality and um i don't know it's, it's interesting yeah 
Agreed. All right. Well, I think that's it. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Levi. And uh, until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs. downstairs. Luncheon out.